Please join me as I pray. Father, we're grateful to come into your presence to sit under your word. As we just sang, it is true authority. And you are, this, you are the God who has come to bring light into our lives through it. Jesus, thank you that you are here with us. That you are the risen Savior, Lord and King. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Take all the things that we brought in this morning. You know everything that occupy our minds. May we not push them aside, but may we bring them to you to see how you want to use this time to continue to minister your rich grace and mercy to us. And so I pray that you would take this ancient and glorious word of yours Let it come with power and boldness to us now. We ask that you would give us not only eyes to see, but hearts to receive. And for that we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, over the past number of Sundays, we have been looking what I've talked about, the, the multifaceted brilliance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at another element of it by asking this question. Just how far does the reach of the resurrection of Jesus go? You ever wondered that? Just how far does the reach of the resurrection of Jesus really go? Maybe I could ask the question a different way. Can our sin outreach the reach of Jesus' forgiving grace? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. I want you to think about your life for a moment right now. Can you remember a time in your life when you were tested and you failed? Can you remember a time, have you come to that place in your life where where you thought that you couldn't be used by God anymore and you wondered if he was still going to love you because You continued to do the same thing over and over again. You know, maybe you've been like me and you have vowed, okay, I'll never commit this sin again, God. I'm never going to do it again. But yet you find yourself doing it for the hundredth time (laughs) or maybe the hundred and tenth time. If you've been there, what was that like for you? I wonder if you thought, Jesus, are you pulling your love away from me now? Are you not going to love me? Are you not going to use me anymore because of what I've done? You know how heavy the weight of guilt and shame can be upon us. Shame over our failures and our sins can haunt us for years. And I would gather there's some here in this room that that's exactly where you have been. Satan has been using your failures and your sins for years to plague you. But I want you to hear me say this morning, no more. Amen? No more. Friends, what I love about Easter, we celebrate Easter. We're in this season of Easter. This season of Easter ushers us into a new way of living. And you remember what we say on Easter Sunday and every Sunday after that during Easter. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. We're going to do it one more time. (laughs) Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I I say that, I have us do this 
Not because I'm just going to do it every Sunday during Easter, but there's a reason why. Because we are people in Christ of the resurrection. We are an Easter people. And that's not just something that we ought to proclaim one Sunday or a season of Sundays, but that the whole of our lives would be a testimony that Christ is risen. Let me tell you what that means for us today. Jesus takes our failures and he restores us. That's the good news of the gospel. You want to know how far the reach of Jesus' love and mercy and forgiveness is. It far outreaches our failures and sins. And that's what we're going to see in the passage from the gospel reading. So I've got two points and one application for us. The two points are these. Jesus pursues us and our failures, and he takes the sting away. The second is this. He knows us. He really knows us, and he doesn't disqualify us. And the application is to pull those two together and to see what does it look like now for us to live in light of these truths. So let's dive in first. Jesus pursues us in our failures, and he takes the sting away. The scene before us that you heard read just a moment ago in the gospel reading, in John's gospel, was Peter on the shore with Jesus, and in a sense, Jesus is reinstating Peter. Now, you've got to know the background to understand the power of the story right here. Remember, Jesus, when he was arrested, was taken to Caiaphas' house, the high priest. And Peter and the other disciples timidly followed him at a distance. And so Peter was in the courtyard during that time, and three different people came up to him. One said, do you know him? He said, no, I don't. Another said, you're one of them, aren't you? No, I'm not. You've been with him. No, I haven't. Denies Jesus. And that moment that, that you long for your friend to be there for you, Peter failed Jesus. Not only did he fail Jesus, he denied even knowing him, even being associated with him. The rooster crowed, and Luke's gospel tells us that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Talk about failure. Talk about sin. Talk about the weight of that. Peter knew that, and he lived with that for a few days. And so now the scene before us, Jesus is on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter and other disciples are out in the boat. They'd been in the boat all night long fishing. They hadn't caught any fish. And then Jesus is on the shore early morning, and he calls out to them. He says, have you caught any fish? And they say, no, we haven't. They don't know it's Jesus at that moment. So he says, cast your net on the right side. So he does that. All of a sudden, the net is filled with 153 fish. Well, in that moment, Peter looks out, and he sees that it's Jesus on the shore. This man who had failed him and denied him couldn't wait to see him. And so Jesus is the first to, I mean, Peter's the first to get out of the boat, as was typical of Peter, and he swims as fast as he can, gets on the shore, and goes up to Jesus. And here's what we find happening in this scene. Verses 19 to 12, or 9 to 12. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. What an invitation. We see Peter, Jesus wasn't just 
pursuing the disciples, he was pursuing Peter in a very intentional and specific way. You see, there was something very significant about the charcoal fire that Jesus had burning on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that morning. I want you to think for a moment, if you've been camping, can you smell the smell of charcoal fire burning? Some of you are kind of going, oh. Others are going, yeah, I know what that smell is like. Right? It's a distinct smell. I want you to see what happened. When Peter made it to shore and smelled, took one whiff of that charcoal fire, do you know where his mind would have immediately gone? To that fateful night when he denied his Savior three times. Because in the courtyard of Caiaphas's house, of the high priest's house, there was a charcoal fire burning right then. Peter would have taken one swift of that and become filled with guilt and shame all over again. You know, studies have shown that there's a powerful connection between smell and memory. Some of you can think, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. I mean, have you ever walked into someone's house and and, and walked into the kitchen and, and they were baking something? Maybe it was homemade chocolate chip cookies or peach cobbler. And it took you, you took one whiff and it took you all the way back to when you were a child at your grandmother's house in the summer. Those memories just came flooding back because of the smell. You see, smells trigger memories. And for Peter on that morning, it was a memory that he was plagued with guilt and shame because he denied Jesus. You see, every moment from then on when he smelled charcoal fire, he would think of how he failed his Savior. But Jesus, loving Peter as he does, loving him so deeply, greets him on the beach with a charcoal fire. It's the only time this is mentioned in the Scriptures to show him how much he's really forgiven. You see, Jesus was having Peter come face to face with his sin, the denial of Jesus. But he's also having him come face to face to see that in the midst of his sin, there is forgiving grace. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's able to respond, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, and could affirm that three times, in a sense, countering the three denials. And what we see, I'm sure, from that point on, whenever Peter would smell charcoal fire burning, he would no longer think of the pain of the guilt of denial, but he would think of the aroma of forgiving grace. That's our God. That's the love of Jesus, to take this man and take the sting away. So when he would smell something that was so horrid, it's now something so beautiful because it's been touched by the grace of God, and he knows God's forgiving grace. Friends, I want you to hear this morning, Jesus pursues us with unrelenting grace. He comes to meet us right where we are. When Peter got out of that boat, he ran to meet Jesus. But i got a question for you. When you fail, when you sin, where do you run? I think a lot of us run away from Jesus. We want to run away because we're filled with such shame and guilt that we think we, we can't imagine him forgiving us. We think he's going to just hammer us. So we want to run away or we want to run away from what we did and, and somehow try to just deny it or act like it never happened. Friends, there's no hope in that. 
Peter came to Jesus, and in coming to Jesus, he found exactly what you and I find when we come to Jesus over and over again. It is open arms with the Savior when we repent, coming to us, forgiving us, giving us exactly what we need. This morning, we're recognizing our seniors, those who are going off to college or a next season in their lives. And so for this moment, I want to just say something to you before I go on. When you go off to school, you're going to face a lot of temptations. You're going to face a lot of challenges. You're going to face a lot of things that are going to pull you in a certain way that you kind of go, I know I shouldn't go, but oh, they're having fun. Maybe I'll do that. There are going to be a lot of temptations, and there are going to be times that you're going to give in and you're going to fail. But I want you to think about this. Where are you going to run when you get back up? Run to Jesus. Hear that he is a God of mercy and grace. We can name our sin. Run to him and find that he is the God who restores Because he is the God of restorative grace for you and me. Amen? So as you all go off, remember that. Because we all fail at times. We all sin at times. Don't run somewhere else. Don't run and hide and just ignore it. Run to the one who will meet you there and will restore you. And show you the greater delights. And it comes from him. Friends, that's not just a word for those graduating seniors. It's a word for all of us because we're all in that same place. But I can tell you, as I love this scene so much, when we run to Jesus and repent, this is what we find. He doesn't put it in our face. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't turn away from us. He runs toward us to show us his mercy and grace that restores us and leads us on a different way in life. That's the first thing that we see. Jesus pursues us in our failures, and he takes the sting away. The second thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus knows us, and he doesn't disqualify us. Listen, verse 17 of John 21. This is Jesus speaking. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said in that moment one of the most important phrases that we need to hear and can say and repeat to ourselves over and over. Peter said this, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you know everything. Peter was making a claim on Jesus' omniscience that he really does know everything. Friends, he knows it, and he sees it, and he forgives it, and he covers it. For those of you who are regular here at St. Andrews, you'll know this. There is a prayer that we pray every Sunday morning. It's our first corporate prayer when we come into worship. I want to read it again because it highlights the reality that when we come into worship, we come with all of our mess, and we often try to cover and hide it, but we can't because Jesus sees it. Here's what we pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. He sees them all. And then we pray, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name 
through Christ our Lord. No secrets are hid. Friends, there is so much freedom when we can come out of the hiding that our secrets are known by the God who sees us and loves us and calls us up to a greater holy life. I want to bring you back to a second for a minute. For the first time that Jesus saw Peter as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, we see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. We read, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want you to hear this. Jesus knew who he was calling. Jesus knew all about Peter's life. He's God. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him. You see, Jesus knew how impulsive Peter was. <laughs> Jesus knew how passionate Peter was. Jesus knew the strong faith that Peter would have walking on water. But Jesus also knew how Peter would have doubts. Jesus also knew how Peter would deny him three times. But in all of that, Jesus said what? Follow me. Friends, he sees you. He knows you. He's called you by name. He knows where you have failed. He knows how you are going to fail ahead. And he says, come, follow me. What an amazing Savior he is. Like Peter, we deny Jesus every time we sin. Now, you not, might not think about it in those terms, but in practical re reality, that's really what we're doing. You see, when we sin, we're choosing our ways over God's ways. When we sin, we're saying that we have found something or someone better than Jesus to satisfy the longings of our hearts who will be better for us. But God knows us, and he doesn't disqualify us. When Jesus called us to himself, he foresaw all our failures and sins, and he still said what? Follow me. Follow me. Because in Christ and in Christ alone, there is life. And he is the God who redeems and restores. Friends, he knows where he found you. He knows all your failures, all your mess. But he says, come and follow me. You see, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. Look at those disciples. They were a bunch of, well, I don't know how to describe them in here, but... You get the picture. They were not model citizens. They were even a mess when they were following Jesus. But he said, follow me. And he called them. I recently heard someone say these words. Failure is an instant, not an identity. I want to say it again. Failure is an instant, not an identity. There are some of you who have heard people tell you you're a failure. There are some of you here who have listened to the lies of the enemy over and over and over again telling you you're a failure. Friends, those are lies. Those words have no authority. We're talking about the one who alone has authority, and his name is Jesus. His words matter, not the voice of somebody else. And so when you hear those words... 
or when you feel condemned that you're a failure because of what you've done, remember, you are not a failure. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a son and daughter. Nothing can take that away. That is your identity. That is the truth that needs to be spoken over you day after day after day. We do fail. We do sin. We're going to. But that is not our identity. And what we see here is the reality that Jesus knows us. And he has come to to restore and redeem our lives in every way. That's what we find here this morning. So in light of all of this, in light of the reality that Jesus pursues us in our failures, he takes that sting away. In light of the reality that he knows everything about us and he doesn't push us off, how then do we respond? What does that look like to pick up and walk out of here today living with a new hope in a new way? Here's what I want to share. What we need to learn to do, and I've said this many times, is we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves even when we fail. A good friend of mine, someone who's been a mentor in many ways, someone who knows grace deeply. It's a man named Scotty Smith from Franklin, Tennessee. Listen to what he said. He said, we need a gracing of our hearts when we feel the shaming power of our failure. Is that not so beautiful? We need a gracing of our hearts when we feel the shaming power of failure. Do you know how we have a gracing of our hearts? We have a gracing of our hearts, friends, when we open this and let God speak to us through it, right in the midst of our pain, right in the midst of our sorrow, right in the midst of whatever we're going through. And we see a God who from the very beginning to the very end has pursued us to the degree that he gave his son. You want to know grace. You want to live into grace. When you fail, and you will, and I will too, run back and experience the embrace of a Savior who says, I love you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. You are mine. That's grace, friends. And a gracing of our hearts comes from allowing God to speak over and over You see, Peter was a man who knew grace because he knew his failure. Don't waste your failures. Don't waste your sins. God takes them and redeems them. And because Peter's was so huge, he knew how big God's grace really was. Take a look later today or tomorrow and read 1 Peter chapter 1, written by Peter, obviously the one who denied Jesus. He was a man whose life was transformed by grace. So listen to how he begins his letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. His sin didn't disqualify him. He was an apostle, a follower. What tremendous books in here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. His sin didn't disqualify him. And friends, I want you to hear this morning, your sin does not disqualify you. It never will if you're covered in the grace of Jesus. But then in verse 2, Peter writes, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Friends, I pray that over you right now, that grace and peace would be multiplied over you. It's not a trickle. It's not even just a steady flow. It's like a waterfall that never ceases to flow. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Friends, hear this. It will never run out. That's a promise. It's a promise from God. And then he goes on. I'm just going to end with this. He goes on in verse 3. It's so rich. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. God is guarding us. God is keeping us. There's an amazing inheritance for us because God's grace never fails. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus was for Peter. The resurrection of Jesus was for people like Peter, people like you and me. And the invitation is to come and say, I receive, and I run to you, and I yield to you, and I bless you. Amen? Jesus, we ask that you would take this. Lord, this is too important for us to just walk on and go about our day and wake up tomorrow and go about our day without giving it a second thought. Jesus, you have come to set captives free. You're doing it in here right now, even in this very moment. Set them free. Set us free. That our lives would be so emboldened, people who understand grace and mercy, that as we live our lives, this community around us would so encounter your grace and mercy. Oh, Jesus, come and move in mighty ways. Set your church ablaze with your spirit, the spirit who tells us over and over who you are and strengthens us in our faith. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.